Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Metro News, the voice of West Virginia, this is West Virginia Outdoors with Chris Lawrence. You'll have big fish, well, you'll have several big fish to run pretty close to 10 pounds. This vehicle's actually been rolled over more than once. I'll try not to add to that legacy today, if you don't mind. Most of your blood trail dogs, for the most part, they're dash hounds, wiener dogs. Some people use labs, some people use pit bulls, but for the most part, on leash is a wiener dog. West Virginia's only outdoor radio show, proudly presented by the Hatfield-McCoy Trails. With over 600 miles of ATV trails located in the rich mountains of southern West Virginia. And now, here's West Virginia's voice of the outdoors, Chris Lawrence. Hey everybody, welcome in to another edition of West Virginia Outdoors on your radio. Glad to have you along with us this morning. Man, we got a lot to talk about today. What a fun show. We have assembled a lineup of good folks to come on and talk let's sum it up this way as producer matt guitar murphy looks at me through the glass with inquisitive eyes floating the coal catfish noodling and crayfish that's the that that's pretty much our lineup for today so <laughs> we're uh the the uh the tour to coal, which we have talked about about every year it's happened on this program is uh getting ready to get started right now at Meadowood Park and Tornado in Kanawha County, and that is the uh, annual float down the uh, Coal River that is put on by the Coal River Group to spotlight the work they have done to, and also to raise money to continue the work they are doing on Coal River and cleaning it up. And it's turned into this a gigantic weekend. It, at one time, it was just like you know, thirty or forty guys got together and floated down the river, and that was that. But now it's a full weekend, and this year they've added concerts and. And, and big boat shows and then i mean this thing has gotten bigger i think than anybody there really thought it could be so uh we'll hear from bill curry in just a moment talking about that and then catfish noodling some was something that the legislature legalized earlier this year and if you've never heard of catfish noodling or seen catfish noodling after the show go to youtube and just put in catfish noodling and you'll see what we're talking about this is literally catching catfish with your bare hands and some of these catfish are 40, 50, 60 pounds. And you literally go into where they live and drag them out. Bare hands. And before you think that's crazy, if you go to YouTube, you'll see a lot of girls that weigh about 98 pounds doing this. So don't tell me. <laughs> don't tell me that you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that because you're going to be severely embarrassed. Seriously, I'm not sure if I would do it or not. But the thing of it is, it's now legal in West Virginia, and the season opened this week. 
Actually, I think Friday was the day it opened So because they do have a season on noodling in West Virginia. And, and, and I was thinking, well, since it's never been illegal here, probably a lot of people here don't know how to do it. So I went and got in hold of a guy from down in my old stomping grounds in Tennessee who's going to join us here a little bit, and he's going to tell us the uh, finer points of catfish noodling how you do that and save your thumbs. So he'll be he'll be joining us here in a few moments. And then later in the program, uh, a, a, a professor at uh, up at West Liberty is deeply involved in a crayfish study in West Virginia. we got a couple of endangered crayfish down in southern West Virginia. There is some concern about stocking trout in those tributaries where the crayfish is struggling. And they're trying to determine if the crayfish are being eaten by the trout that they're stocking or not. And, you know, what they can do to help the crayfish out. So he'll join us a little bit later on, and we'll talk about that as well. So that's the show for today. But before we go to the break, Bill Curry with the Coal River Group talking about the Tour de Coal and what it has become. <laughs> Times have changed. It's it's amazing. I was actually 14 years ago you called me. Wow. Time flies. So it's been 14 years for this event. Talk about how much it has grown in that time. It's just amazing. I mean, you know, that year that you and I were talking, we had 44 people. And Bill Queen, my co-founder, and I, we thought we had just uh, hit the jackpot by getting 44 people who would actually float to Cold River. And last year was the biggest year ever. We had over 1,000 people on the river at Tour de Cold. It just, it would blow us away. I mean, we'd only had a year before that, I think we had maybe 800. And we thought it'd never get bigger than that, and all of a sudden we had 1,000. Now, a lot of people put in the river anymore, and I don't. I, I hope they'd come through and, uh, and give us a donation, because this is a fundraiser for us. But there's so many people also that just are getting into the river uh, other locations. So I don't know exactly how many people we've had on the river. <laughs> Well, and it's it's bound to get bigger because uh, we talked to the mayor earlier this week about uh, the, the the inaugural Yak Fest, which St. Albans has now glommed on and and built uh, something around this as well. And as I was telling the mayor, that gives them a reason to stay come a day earlier and stay a day longer. Uh, we're so excited about that. You know, for years people have tried to get us to change our venue and do like a, like a, a Yak Fest out here at Meadowood Park after the event. Well, the problem was we're, we're not big concert people. I mean, we, we don't, we, we're river people. <laughs> and we don't know a whole lot about, uh, you know, big concert events. So when the mayor came to me before he was elected, and he said, Bill, how can we work together with the Coal River Group to turn that into something that would be beneficial to St. Albans? And I already had the term in my mind, and I said, uh, Mayor, why don't you do a yak fest? And he said, Bill, what is a yak? <laughs> and I said, Mayor, that's short for kayak. It's a very cool word, and the young paddlers use it a lot. And he said, let's do it. He said, if I get elected, we're going to do that. So then, uh, and uh, here we are. Yeah, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> that's Bill Curry with the Cove River Group, the Yak Fest. Actually, the, the float gets started, I think, at 9 o'clock this morning, and they're doing the registrations right now and expecting 1,000 people. 1,000 people on the Cove River? That's incredible with uh, with kayaks, canoes, and pretty much anything that floats, and it's and it's a gentle float. I mean, if you're uh, if you're a novice from from where they put in there at Meadowood Park and Tornado down to uh, St. Albans, 
it's pretty much flat water and anybody can float it it's not dangerous at all the only the only even real riffle is i think there's one area there that has a very very small around the dam or something there that's not really a dam anymore but uh they got people there to help you get through that and then afterward i think at noon is when the yak fest gets started and that's when they've got music all day there in st albans and uh, i think a lot of the kayak makers have displays set up and a lot of vendors so that's a lot that's a big deal congratulations to the coal river group on turning that into something that's pretty special pretty special and i remember when we had bill on 14 years ago on this show talking about that and you're he's right he, he was just hoping you know 25 people showed up that day so there you go the tour de coal happening today we got to take a break when we come back we'll explore something else new catfish noodling it's new to west virginia not new to the guys down at big tennessee adventure guide service we'll hear from them coming up explore west virginia's mountains like never before on the Durban and Greenbrier Valley Railroad, leave your cares behind on a scenic day trip from Elkins, Cass, or Durban, featuring live entertainment and a tasty lunch. The Durban and Greenbrier Valley Railroad will also have dinner and wine tasting excursions this summer. Check discounts for veterans, seniors, and kids, and choose your Durban and Greenbrier Valley Railroad adventure today at mountainrail.com. In West Virginia, wildlife is for everyone, and the West Virginia DNR works to keep it that way. Every year, West Virginia's Division of Natural Resources manages thousands of acres of public land and water, ensuring the future of our great natural resources in the Mountain State. Our state is a haven for all species of wildlife, game and non-game, and draws thousands each year to enjoy our rich outdoor heritage. When you buy a hunting or fishing license or take a stroll in our forest to view wildlife, you're enjoying what the DNR has made possible. The West Virginia DNR, working to ensure wildlife is for everyone. Yeah. And you're listening to West Virginia Outdoors, presented by the Hatfield-McCoy Trails on Metro News, the voice of West Virginia. Imagine. Imagine being denied an apartment because of housing discrimination. It's so wrong. But who has the power to stop this? You do. The law is on your side. If you've been discriminated against because of race, color, religion, sex, national origin, disability, or familial status, file a complaint with HUD. Fair housing is your right. Use it. Visit hud.gov slash fair housing. A public service message from HUD and the National Fair Housing Alliance. I'm a college student and could use advice about my student loan. I had to leave school and go to work. Now I have to pay back student loans for a degree I don't have. Fortunately, I found assistance. Back in college, I figured they wouldn't lend me more than I could easily pay back. Boy, was I wrong. Thankfully, I got the help I needed to pay back my loan in full. Sound familiar? The good news is that student loan repayment options are available. We're the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, a nonprofit organization with member offices nationwide that provide comprehensive financial reviews and student loan counseling. NFCC certified consumer credit counselors provide one-on-one -on -one financial counseling and can help you evaluate options for making student loan payments, reducing interest, debt consolidation, or even loan rehabilitation. Call 877-406-6322 or visit us online at studentloanhelp.org. Time is running out. African penguin colonies have emptied in the last five years as their breeding populations have gone from 2 million pairs to less than 25,000. Together, we can turn things around. 
Your support to the San Diego Zoo Global Wildlife Conservancy helps support solutions by providing artificial nest boxes, hand-raising chicks for release and rehabilitating injured penguins. So together, we can repopulate the colonies of our tuxedo-wearing friends. Join us now at endextinction.org. Turning, there's a chill in the air. Campfires are burning, we're gathered round in chairs. Three generations of hunting in our veins, talking about what might happen on opening day. Where the man's calling for salvation. Welcome back to West Virginia Outdoors. I'm Chris Lawrence and <laughs> The, uh, the catfish guys, we're having trouble hooking up with them this morning, so we'll see if we can uh, continue to find those fellas because I really want to get them on. Will Goodman with Big Tennessee Adventures Trophy Catfish Guide Service was supposed to join us, but he did tell me that he would be on his way to the water. I think he's got uh, a trip planned today, and they were heading to the water somewhere, so perhaps he's gotten into a place where there's no cell service. So we'll find out if that's the case or not. So... We'll, uh, we'll we'll try to hook up with him. In the meantime, we're trying to hook up and, and learn more about this uh, this study that's ongoing within the West Virginia DNR. Actually, they have uh, gone gone to West Liberty and gotten them to to look into this study of the crayfish in West Virginia. And Zach Loman is with us. Uh, Zach, how you doing, man? doing great how about you i am well thank you so much for joining us this morning well, your last name is loman correct is that how you pronounce it uh it's actually loafman 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 okay yep. uh you are a professor at west liberty university correct that is correct tell me a little bit about this crayfish study i talked to some folks at dnr about how this got started but but i think that you all have expanded it i think i even talked to you about it last year but you've expanded it a little bit talk about where you are with this program uh, well, we're actually studying several facets of the biology that, of the two crayfish that are imperiled in southern West Virginia. Um, with, specific to the trout, what, the, the big question we're asking is, what if impact will stock trout have on these two species that are federally protected? So to kind of answer that question, what we're doing currently is one of my graduate students, his name's Riley Olick, and then my postdoc, Matt McKinney, uh, they're down in the coal fields, and we have uh, trout, rainbow trout that have radio transmitters implanted in them, and then we have brown trout that have radio transmitters implanted in them. Mm -hmm. And they've been released into streams that the DNR has been stalking for quite some time. And what we're doing is we're basically tracking those animals and seeing how they use the creek, uh, what kind of habitats they use, where you find them, um, are they using pools? Are they using riffles? Are they using runs? Uh, and then right alongside the stocked animals, we're actually studying smallmouth bass as well because they're the native predator to crayfish. And so we're looking at their movements with that study and seeing are they in the same habitats as the imperiled crayfish. And then at the same time, we're down there um, basically looking at the feeding habits of these animals. So how important are crayfish in their diet is the, is the other question we're asking. 
Yeah, and I think and, I think there's a worry that there's a couple of protected or um, endangered crayfish down there, and and to stock trout in there that are going to eat a bunch of those crayfish would be running afoul of the uh, Endangered Species Act, wouldn't it? Yes, that's absolutely correct. The, the two crayfish are the Guyandot River crayfish and the Big Sandy River crayfish. And for those who don't know, the Guyandot River crayfish is really unique. It 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 is. As unique to West Virginia as you can get, because that's the only place on planet Earth that you find it. And right now, um, it is only known to occur in two streams, Pinnacle Creek and uh, the Clear Fork watershed um, in Wyoming County. So we're really interested to see how these animals that are being stocked are impacting the crayfish, because we don't want to be putting animals into the streams that are going to basically further the extirpation of these imperiled species. Um, and so, you know, the results to, to date have been really interesting. So, What what have you found? I, from what I was, I was talking to Dave Thorne about this, and he was telling me that as a precaution, they had uh, resorted to stocking only rainbow trout there because there's some evidence that rainbow trout don't feed on crayfish all that much, whereas a brown trout or something like that, uh, some other species, could put a hurting on them. Yeah, and the... In the summer of 2016, the DNR did a, a pilot study. It's basically a, a much smaller version of the diet study that we're doing right now. Um, and Dave and, and some of his colleagues went down to the coal fields and they shocked up a bunch of um, rainbow trout and brown trout and smallmouth bass. And they did this, this thing called gastric lavage, which is a really fancy way of saying they made them puke in a bucket. <laughs> So basically, what they regurgitated their food contents into a bucket, and then they sent me that. It was an <laughs> awesome present. <laughs> for, I love it when I have you guys geek. on. I'm a, I'm a geek at heart, and I definitely had fun picking through that and figuring out what the animals had eaten. No, I'm and sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure chicks initial, dig you at parties, don't they? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the initial results showed that the rainbow trout were pretty much eating things that were on the surface, um, uh, the smallmouth bass were doing what every fisherman in West Virginia knows they do. They were absolutely eating crayfishes. Um, but the brown trout were also eating crayfishes. Uh, a lot of the, the animals that we found in their guts, their, sorry, from, their, from the lavage samples, showed you know, quite clearly that crayfish are on the menu uh, for them and that they were most likely hunting at night. We can't say that definitively, but when you're eating a lot of crayfish, and especially the crayfish they were eating, those animals are only active at night. So basically we had the pilot study, now we have to back it up with a much larger study, and that's what we're doing um, right now. And to date, those results seem to be holding true. Um, we go down monthly, so this was started last month. My, my students actually just got back from the coal fields yesterday, um, so they did their second round of sampling. And... Uh, the rainbows were absolutely still eating mostly organisms that were on the surface. Um, one interesting result, which uh, I tell everybody because it's just kind of funny. I mean, I'm an angler too. I go fishing fairly often. Um, is that uh, duck feathers are actually oftentimes found in these gastric lavage samples trout uh because -huh. they're basically they're hitting things off the surface. They're they're for all intents and purposes very you know they're. They're raised in a hatchery, so they're conditioned that everything that hits that surface, I eat. Um, so if you can picture a duck feather going down 
stream bouncing along in a riffle. It's got a lot of action to it, so these rainbows are nailing them. And well, we'll see in the duck feathers. That should probably teach you. You should you should use duck feathers to tie your flies. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it, it's been it's been quite interesting. <laughs> so the, the 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 real concern here, obviously, beyond putting in a fish that's going to further erode the crayfish, is there are not that many streams in southern West Virginia that you can stock trout into that have the conditions that are necessary. Now, the ones they have are really good, but mm-hmm. you, you you hate the thought of having to rob fishermen of opportunity just to protect this crayfish yeah and i guess that's where the balance and it's probably not your call you're just the science guy given the data but somebody's got to make that call at some point yeah but there is a way though and this is this is a kind of a conservation strategy that i'm pushing so part of this crayfish yeah it's so especially the uh the guyandot river crayfish it's like I said, it's only found in two streams. And part of the reason why it's only found in those two streams is uh, the habitat that it prefers, which is kind of sediment-free riffles and runs, has been eliminated due to sedimentation. And when you have an imperiled species, the, the goal is not to just keep it on the endangered species list or keep it as threatened for, you know, perpetuity. You're, you're trying to get it off that list. And as part of that process, you can build habitat. And it just so happens that the exact habitat that the crayfish prefers is the habitat that, that is created when you put in trout weirs or you drop logs across the stream to create a riffle run um, situation because it's all, all, all that kind of dynamic riffle habitat is going to be flush and sediment. So what, I'm kind of, what I've proposed is that basically if we can figure out this relationship between the trout and the crayfish, and if the relationship that we're finding currently holds true, where basically the rainbow trout aren't doing that much deleterious action, if any deleterious action at all towards these, inva- these uh, native imperiled crayfishes, then one action could literally be we could start restoring these streams that historically had the crayfish, and when we restore the streams, we can literally turn them into trout streams in the process. So you can use that, that strategy of we've got to build habitat for the crayfish and at the same time, we're building habitat for trout. So you could, in theory, increase the number of streams that the crayfishes occur in. See, now that's great um, thinking right there. Yeah. That's that, conservation-minded management. Exactly. And I, and I, I really think that that's what this is going to show. Now, as a scientist, you know, we've we got to wait and see what the data says. Um, and we still have a lot of time on this study. But... Uh, I, I can say that I am cautiously optimistic at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not its not like we are inexperienced at creating habitat. I mean, I've oh covered, yeah. I've no, covered stories, I've covered stories up in, you know, up uh, in the upper shavers fork on the, in the, where they were stocked by a railroad, you know, the, the, those places were just completely in, almost imperiled, uh, for, for holding trout or for any trout to get up the stream. They've, uh, they brought in companies and they've done work there that have restored, you know, miles and miles of streams with, with the proper habitat. Exactly. And with these crayfishes being federally protected, um, there's all kinds of dollars that can be associated with federally protected species that can go into habitat restoration. So you know, I don't want to paint a picture that like uh, 
Fish and Wildlife is going to be going up and restoring all these streams, but it, it, you can expedite the process for stream restoration if you can make the argument that this restoration is going to help this endangered species. So one of the, you know, I'm a West Virginian. I grew up here. Uh, the last thing I want to do is be is harm the state, especially southern West Virginia, which is, you know, desperate for alternative economical sources, especially within Wyoming, Logan, uh, McDowell, Mingo counties. Um, and so this, this whole strategy of using the, the crayfish as a mechanism to restore the streams, so long as people respect the streams and don't do dumb things to the streams, you know, all's well. And evidence that, this can, that, that you know, the stream habitat works is two of the streams we're studying, one is Huff Creek, and one is Buffalo Creek. Uh, Huff Creek's received some uh, abatement in the form of the creation of trout habitat through the local watershed group there. And then Buffalo Creek, uh, in and around Man, that, that stream's just been completely restored with all kinds of trout habitat. And, and we're not finding the endangered crayfish there, but we are finding are plenty of crayfish there. So basically... What I think's happened is the guy in that river crayfish what you know was extirpated from those streams prior to that remediation effort. Now, you know, the habitat's back, but the crayfish has no mechanism of getting there. You know, there's there's also yeah. there's also some precedent set for what you're talking about there using the crayfish and you know and, and restoring crayfish habitat as the catalyst to restore trout habitat. Yeah, we've done that in wildlife in that the uh, the um, I think it's the the bluebird program where. Uh, you can you can go to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and get permits and, and, and instructions on how to properly timber, creating quote unquote bluebird habitat. But what you're really doing is you're diversifying habitat for everything. Yep, and that, that's 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 a strategy that, that the DNR, Fish and Wildlife, West Liberty. That's what we're all kind of pushing um, with these animals. It's almost like you got to think creatively to work within the parameters of a weird system. Oh yeah, absolutely. You definitely know that on the head. Now, is it, it? Have you found? From what I understand, you did not real. Did you all realize that these were two different species of crayfish when you got started, or was that a discovery that was made? Um. Well, the answer to that is kind of. So, I was funded by West Virginia DNR's Wildlife Diversity Program all the way back uh, in 2007. I guess was the first year of that to do a statewide inventory of crayfish across West Virginia. So that study went from 2007 to 2013. And basically, they would, you know, DNR gave West Liberty uh, uh, an amount of money. I would put that money into the pockets of my undergrads for summer employment. And then we bounced around all 55 counties, uh, visited over 2,000 streams in the state from 2007 to 2013. And in that time frame, we went down into the southern part of West Virginia, collected this animal um, that is currently called Guyandot River crayfish, and we collected it in the Tug Fork River system, which you know no one had ever really done before in West Virginia. So we took some DNA samples, uh, and, and all that include that is is basically a gill, uh, put it in a little vial, and I sent it off to one of my um, colleagues at Carnegie Museum of Natural History, and then there was another guy, his name's Roger Toma, and he was collecting this animal in Virginia and Kentucky. And so we looked at the DNA, and, and when we looked at the DNA from all across the animal's range, it showed very, very clearly that the animals that were in the Guyandot River were very, very different than the animals that were in the greater Big Sandy River. 
And so that kind of got us, you know, our heads scratching. And one of the big issues was the animals from the Guyanet River are incredibly rare. No one had actually been able to get their hands on one uh, since 1989. And prior to 1989, nobody had gotten their hands on them since 19, like the early 1900s. Wow. Uh, so they were quite imperiled. And the fact that we actually were able to find them at the time, Pinnacle Creek, enabled us to get that DNA, which then enabled us to look at the genetics. And so the genetics kind of indicated, yeah, they might be different, um, but I'm a typical field guy. You know, I don't, I, I, you can't see DNA when you look at an animal. Sure. Um, so Toma and I actually went to the Smithsonian Museum where there were more specimens of this animal in jars than anywhere else on the planet. And we sat down with those specimens, with the few specimens that I had managed to acquire, and then with all the specimens he had gotten throughout the Tug Fork watershed. And when we actually measured them and did what's called a morphometric analysis, the morphometrics just totally backed what the DNA was saying. But by the time we had done that, we'd actually already initiated the process to get the animal protected by fish and wildlife. Mm -hmm. um, so we ended up describing... Uh, the the population that lived in the big greater Big Sandy River area, uh, and basically that happened right as the listing process was going down. So we ended up with these two species, and <laughs> one of them, the Big Sandy uh, crayfish, is it lives in West Virginia, Virginia, Kentucky. But the Guyandot River crayfish is a true West Virginia endemic. We only find it here. All right. Well, Zach, I sure appreciate your time, and thanks for coming on with us this morning. And I know I had to switch your schedule around a little, but thanks for doing that for us. And oh, no worries. We'll continue to about crayfish anytime. We'll continue to follow you with you on this and uh, and the progress you and your students make. Appreciate it, man. Thank you much. Have All a great right. day, Zach Loafman with West Liberty University, talking about their crayfish study. When we come back, we've hooked up with one of our noodling guys. We'll learn how to stick our hands down the gullet of a catfish and wrestle it out of its house. That's coming up after this. Always overpromise. Advice you're likely to get from someone who owns a Ram truck. Because with the all-new 2019 Ram 1500, you're not only capable of always living up to expectations, but exceeding them. For instance, when your buddy forgets to mention that he's bringing his ATV, a half-faced cord of wood, and his new 8-rack smoker on your camping trip, no sweat, because you know a 2,300-pound payload capacity can handle it. Ram. Built to serve. Well-qualified current lessees of competitive vehicles get a low-mileage lease on the 2018 Ram 1500 Express Quad Cab 4x4 with a V6 engine for $159 a month for 24 months with $2,999 to its signing. Tax title license extra. Payload when properly equipped on 2019 models. Call 1-877-RAM-5722 for details. Requires dealer contribution or lease through Chrysler Capital. Excludes all other FCA vehicles. 25 cent charge for each mile over 20,000. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 7-5. Ram is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. You're listening to West Virginia Outdoors, presented by the Hatfield-McCoy Trails on Metro News, the voice of West Virginia. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You've messed up your daughter's haircut. Do you, A, get spiritual? Mom, where's the mirror? Beauty is within. Oh. B, find the positives. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or C, show empathy. Mom, you really don't have twinsies. I kind of love it. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on adoption, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. I'm a firefighter. A teacher. I'm a farmer. I'm a barber. 
a waitress, a mom. We're all part of your community. Every day we move in and out of each other's busy lives. It's easy to take for granted all the little moments that make up our every day. Some are good, others not so much. But that's life. It's when you experience a moment of uncertainty, something or someone's behavior that doesn't seem quite right. These are the moments to take a pause. Because if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. It's not about paranoia. Or being afraid. It's about standing up and protecting our communities. One detail at a time. Because a lot of little details can become a pattern. We. 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 We trust our instincts. Just like you should. Because only you know what's not supposed to be in your everyday. So protect your everyday. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. Some people see a llama. At Heifer International, we see a healthy child getting an education. Just one llama can produce enough wool to make blankets, ponchos, carpet, and rope. The gift of an animal from Heifer can help a family start a small business. This hand up increases access to education, empowerment, and dignity. This is no ordinary gift. Heifer International. Learn more at heifer.org. Well, we're back on West Virginia Outdoors, and this week, the first ever catfish noodling season opened up in the state of West Virginia. This was legalized earlier this year by the state legislature and cleared the way for us to start doing what we have all watched on YouTube for many years. Now, while noodling catfish is new to us, it is certainly nothing new to folks out in the Midwest and down in the South. And we are joined this morning by a man who knows it well, Sam I think it's pronounced Naughton of Kentucky Hand Grabbing Catfish. Sam, how you doing, buddy? Good. How you doing? I am good. Did I pronounce your last name right? Is it Naughton? Natton. Natton. Okay. And and your your service is called Kentucky Hand Grabbing Catfish Noodling Guide Service. Correct. That's correct. Yes, sir. Now you're you're in Cadez, Kentucky. Now, folks may be familiar with Cadez who listen to the show because that is where. Land between the lakes is located, and that is where we got the. That's right. That's where we got the first. We we got our first elk for our restoration program in West Virginia. Came out of that that area down there. Absolutely right. We, that's where the elk come from, and, and all the big catfish that we noodle. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you do you noodle on both of the lakes there, both Kentucky Lake and Barkley? I do. I do a little bit of both. And uh, I mean, it just depends. It's kind of one of them things. It's like hunting or fishing. Anything once you figure it out you know there's better spots than others but i i do i do about the same amount on both you know tell me about how you scout for a place to go noodling well it, it just kind of all depends you know every lake and every state and everything's different I, i've been a couple other places besides you know around here like i've been to mississippi doing it in tennessee and but it all depends on your lakes some people put out man-made like boxes or barrels or whatever and then some lakes you know you've got enough natural hose like our lakes are really clean you know mm -hmm. kentucky lakes really clean all pea gravel really clear water it makes it tougher you know and, and we put a few man-made things out and i need i need i need to inject i need to inject here that part of the law that allows for noodling in west virginia makes it illegal to do that here you cannot put out 
you know, stuff, boxes okay. and stuff here. So that's against the law in West Virginia. Well, that is good. The, the, the only thing I'd recommend for any of the guys in that part of the country, our lakes here have a, a five-foot drop in the winter. They take them down to winter pool. That's when I get out. I look around, you know, I try to find, you know, holes, boat ramps. They'll get under boat ramps. It's somebody's concrete, you know, they got a lake house that goes down to the water or sidewalk. You know, those fish will get in a little hole that is weathered naturally over time, and they'll get in there and dig it out. And if you just, you know, it takes, sometimes it took me two or three years to find some of my good spots, but once you find them, you know, I tell everybody, you know, don't tell don't tell anybody and then tell nobody because everybody will be fishing them, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But just the main thing's the homework, you know, the way I do it, it's, it's, it's really fun. You go out and you catch them and nobody realizes how much time's involved into it, like in the wintertime when I'm out there, you know, I'm out there with a pen and a paper writing down spots, marking spots on my GPS, you know, where I don't forget about this spot or this rock pile or this concrete slab or... Now, catfish by nature, I, 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 they get back into those uh, those underwater spots of cover. It might be a, an old log. It might be a, a hole back in the bank or whatever. It might it might be an old washing machine that somebody threw in there. Who knows? Yep, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I was walking through the water one day, and I tripped over I tripped over something and fell, and the water was way steep, and it was a, a tractor tire. And I was laughing with my buddy. We were walking beside each other. I said, I wanted to present anything in this tractor tire, and I just went down there and stuck my foot in the tractor tire, and there was about a 10-pound channel catfish. I guess he had a bed in the tractor tire, and he was swimming around in a circle in that tractor tire, and I laid down on top of it, and, and he reached through my, you know, along my sides, and he caught the fish. But they'll, they'll get in anything. We catch a lot of blue cats here. But the flatheads, they're, they're a predator. You know, their natural instinct is to be laying in something, hiding in something. They don't like to be in the daylight. They like to be in the shade. And, I mean, we have, we have a season here. There's no season in Tennessee, but we have a season here. And you can catch them late, like, after they're spawning, just because they'll be in there just hiding, you know, after mm-hmm. they're spawning. I think them fish get up in the shallows. But these fish, when the water gets about 77, 78 degrees, that's when their eggs will hatch, you know. Between 75 and 85 degrees is where they, when they lay their eggs, their eggs hatch. And so when that water gets to, to that perfect depth, they're, you know, in, in the shallower, it gets there quicker. But I found they like to be about four foot deep. But when that water hits about 80 degrees at four foot deep, all them flatheads are up there. They're, they're in holes or they're looking for places or they're spawning. You know, it's happening. It's just like a big bluegill spawn when that. That's exactly what a flathead is. He's just like a big, giant bluegill. And when you stick your hand in there or, or whatever, you know, into his bed, which I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen, you know, a bluegill on a bed, and they, they're sitting there going in a circle, and a tadpole swims by, he attacks it, you know. That's right. exactly what that flathead does to your hand or your foot when you get in front of <laughs> Sam Natton, our guest this morning, he is with... Uh, Kentucky Hand Grabbing. That's the name of his guide service. Sam, I got several more questions for you. Hang on. We'll talk a little more about This is fascinating. We'll talk a little more about it, but I got to take a break right after this. It's summer. Time to get your motor running and find your adventure in Hatfield-McCoy country. With over 600 miles of trails and ATV-friendly towns along the way, there's a lot to explore on the Hatfield-McCoy trail system. West Virginia residents can ride all year with the purchase of an annual resident permit for only $26.50. Get your permit online or see a Hatfield-McCoy Trails retailer and find your adventure on the best trails in the USA. Hatfield-McCoy Trails, 
your ticket to ATV paradise. Explore West Virginia's mountains like never before. On the Durban and Greenbrier Valley Railroad, leave your cares behind on a scenic day trip from Elkins, Cass, or Durban, featuring live entertainment and a tasty lunch. The Durban and Greenbrier Valley Railroad will also have dinner and wine tasting excursions this summer. Check discounts for veterans, seniors, and kids, and choose your Durban and Greenbrier Valley Railroad adventure today at mountainrail.com. You're listening to West Virginia Outdoors, presented by the Hatfield-McCoy Trails on Metro News, the voice of West Virginia. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from silent. Get back on your treatment plan or talk with your doctor to create a plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhpp.org. Everything's changed. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You accidentally cut your daughter's bangs unevenly. Do you A, line things up a centimeter from her hairline, Man, oh man, oh man, oh man. No, 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 no. Sweatbands are so hot right now. Everyone's wearing them. Like that basketball player and that other basketball player. B, get spiritual. Mom, where did all the mirrors go? A reflection could never capture our true selves. Huh? Beauty is within. Um. C, look on the bright side. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or D, show empathy. Mom, you really don't have Ta-da! to. Ta da! Twinsies. I kind of love it. <laughs> As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. At City of Hope, we don't believe the future can wait for the future. For over a century, we've been advancing science that saves lives. From four of the world's top cancer-fighting drugs to the development of synthetic human insulin, we are maximizing the potential of immunotherapy in making precision medicine a reality. It's not enough to promise future cures for cancer. We must find them sooner. We are the miracle of science with soul. Find out more at cityofhope.org. We're back on West Virginia Outdoors, and the way I actually set this up, I had a couple of guys to come on and talk about this, but the way things work, they have both wound on with us. We were talking to Sam Natten a minute ago. He's from Kentucky Hand Grabbing, and they, he runs out of uh, Land Between the Lakes down there in Cadiz, Kentucky. And Will Goodman with Big Tennessee Adventures out of Seymour, Tennessee has called in. Will, how you doing, man? Will, are you there? Well, Sam, are you there? I'm here. Okay. <laughs> I think you may, hey, <laughs> uh, Matt, you may have, it looks like Will's on another line there. Is that right? Okay. Will can't. The cat's got his tongue. Will, yeah, the cat's got his tongue. He had, the, he's hoping the, he'll have the cat's tongue. We're talking about catfish noodling this morning, and uh, and Sam is uh, from Cadez, Kentucky. Sam, you, do we have Will now? Will, can you hear me? Will still can't hear me, but Sam can. Okay. 
Well, I guess that means that Will's not there. <laughs> All right. Well, Sam, we still got you. I was thinking a moment ago, what you've got to have a lot of guts to get into a muddy stream and stick your hand back into a hole or crevice with the full intention of having something bite it. Now, catfish don't have big, you know, hard teeth. I mean, it's like sandpaper, but that's not the only thing that might live back in that hole. Well, I will tell you, the, uh, you know, our lakes, I mean, we don't have a lot of snakes. I mean, we do have snakes. We do have turtles. We, you know, there's coons and stuff. But most of these places that these catfish are in, if there's no air there, I mean, like if you're going up in a hollow log or a root rod in the bank, yeah, there, there's, there's probably something else in there. But I'm going to tell you the truth. When these catfish are in there on the bed, there ain't nothing coming in there with it. Really? You stick your, I've, I stuck my foot in there and had them take a crop a crop shoe plumb off my foot before and I can you imagine a little turtle or a snake or something coming in there to check it out and him getting that right in the face I mean these things are mean they're like I said earlier just like a big bluegill on a bed and they're protecting that bed I mean whatever swims in there they're either gonna bite you or you know a lot of them will hit you with their tail but if you got like you know if you think there's air in there, you know, or there could be something else in there. I'm not saying, but I've been doing it for 10 years plus, and I started a guide service out of it, and I've been doing it for six years. And there was only one time that I that I touched something besides a catfish, and, and I didn't get bit by anything or nothing like that. But it's just like I tell everybody, you know, a turtle or a snake, he just got a little bitty mouth on him. These catfish <laughs> got a mouth big as a basketball. I mean, you know. <laughs> and they hit you pretty aggressively then. Yeah, well, I mean, it just depends. There's a there's there's a fine time, and it's different in every state. You know, I got people I stay in contact with all over place, buddies that I've become friends with that do it. But around here, they're really aggressive. But there's a fine little time there. See, what happens is a male cat, a male flathead, he goes and finds the nest, makes the nest, whatever. He'll make it, and he'll stay there. He'll just lay there till a female comes. A female will come in there, and the female's always bigger than the male, by the way. A female will come in there, and she'll lay her eggs, and he fertilizes them, and he pushes her out of there. She's gone. And he stays there until the eggs hatch and leave. And, you know, the, the eggs hatch and the fry leaves. But there's about a two-week time period, we're in it right now, where when you go and check spots, about 90% of them will have two fish in there. We caught a, a 45-pounder and a 55-pounder out of the same hole together a couple of days ago. Wow. <laughs> but when, when they're in that little fine period where there's two of them in there, they don't seem to be as aggressive. I mean, I've seen it on most days when you could just reach in there and grab them and just pull them out and throw them in the boat, and they wouldn't even hardly move. But I guess they're kind of in that phase where they're laying them eggs and stuff. But when that female's gone and that male's laying in there on eggs, buddy, you better, you better have some good gloves on because they are mean men. <laughs> Sam Natton with Kentucky Hand Grabbing Catfish and Guide Service out of Cadez, Kentucky. Hey, man, I appreciate your time this morning, and good luck this morning. I hope you get can a bunch I, of them. Can I, say, can I say one more thing? You may. Go ahead. I can't stress catch and release enough. These these fish, it takes them a long time. They're old, you know. These 40- and 50-pound fish, we've aged some of them. The biologists have around here, you know, some of them are 18 or 20 years old. And there's a lot of commercial fishing pressure here, and there's a lot of other people that have started noodling. And of course, when they catch that first 50-pounder they've ever caught in their life, the first thing they want to do is keep it. But I've got a rule. We don't keep anything over 35 pounds. These fish have thousands and thousands of eggs in them this time of the year. Mm -hmm. And we've noticed a, a, a big drop in the size 
in our area. Well, I was going to run down the, the laws here in West Virginia. First of all, the daily creel limit here for all catfish species, uh, hand fishing is four, and only one of those may be over 35 inches. And only two of them, only two of them can be a blue catfish. We got a five fish limit on noodling, and there's no size limit. But if you're like you're riding real fishermen, your trout line guys, your jug guys, there's no limit on catfish. And we pushed and pushed, and I've talked to people and trying to get a flathead. I wish they'd just move it to a game fish in the state of Kentucky and just make it like a one fish limit. Because I mean, there's no sense. And I know guys that go out and keep twenty or thirty of them. You know. Yeah. Well, we just. We uh, we took care of that a few years ago when we noticed the commercial fishing pressure started, and our DNR passed some uh, regulations and limits too that has pretty much run them back across the river down your way. So yeah, I think that's what the problem. I tag I tag all my fish and let them go. Yeah, and I, I know a commercial fisherman that caught twenty tag ones in, in a hoop net in one one set. Goodness, hey man, good luck today. I I appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much. All right, thank you. All right, Sam Natton with Kentucky Hand Grabbing. We got to take our final break and be back right after this. Always overpromise. Advice you're likely to get from someone who owns a Ram truck. Because with the all-new 2019 Ram 1500, you're not only capable of always living up to expectations, but exceeding them. For instance, when your buddy forgets to mention that he's bringing his ATV, a half-faced cord of wood, and his new eight-rack smoker on your camping trip, no sweat, because you know a 2,300-pound payload capacity can handle it. Ram, built to serve. Well-qualified current lessees of competitive vehicles get a low-mileage lease on the 2018 Ram 1500 Express Quad Cab 4x4 with a V6 engine for $159 a month for 24 months with $2,999 due at signing. Tax, title, license, extra. Payload when properly equipped on 2019 models. Call 1-877-RAM-5722 for details. Requires dealer contribution or lease through Chrysler Capital. Excludes all other FCA vehicles. 25 cent charge for each mile over 20,000. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 7-5. RAM is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. You're listening to West Virginia Outdoors on Metro News. Presented by the Hatfield-McCoy Trails on Metro News. The voice of West Virginia. When I grow up, I want to be a teacher because they know a lot of awesome stuff. I'll stand in front of the class and make sure everyone knows what I know. If your child is sick over and over again, it could be PI, a serious defect of the immune system. Early testing gives children a chance to dream. And when I'm a teacher, my favorite subject will be recess. <laughs> Jeffrey Modell Foundation, helping children reach for their dreams. Visit info4pi.org. Olivia, from Washington. Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel, from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna, from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America 
and the Ad Council. In 2007, Marine First Lieutenant Travis Mannion was killed in Iraq after saving his wounded teammates. Travis's legacy lives on through the words he spoke before his final deployment, If Not Me, Then Who? Words that today fuel the spirit of Travis Mannion Foundation. And through TMF, these words can live in you too. Show the world what you're made of, because character is invisible until it's not. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside empowered veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians at travismanion.org. And we're back on West Virginia Outdoors. Just a few minutes left to go, but I wanted to bring in uh, Will Goodman, who's from uh, down in uh, the great state of Tennessee. Will, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Uh, sorry about this morning. That's all right. I apologize for not getting you in here earlier. We tried, and we had some technical difficulty, but I got a couple of minutes here. Yeah, you're uh, you're based in Seymour, Tennessee, which is right around the Knoxville area there, and there are plenty of lakes down there to go noodling in. Uh, where are you heading today? Well, I'm heading out to Washburn Lake today. It's my favorite lake. It's real remote. And, you know, I get out of Knoxville and get out of all, all the heavy boat traffic. Uh, I've got a tournament today. I'm running three trips today as well. I've got two other guys working with me. And anyway, uh, you know, we're running out for some big blue cats and some big flatheads. But uh, I'm glad to hear you guys got some uh, noodling legalized up here in West Virginia. Um, I'm going to give all the callers uh, or everybody that's listening today a little, little secret. So, you boys want to catch some fish and some natural structure. You know there's a cedar tree right near the bank. If it has the water all the way up to the root ball of the cedar tree, I want you to go underneath the cedar trees and see if there's a, see if there's a, a like a big nest out in, in, in under it. Take it like a big long 10 or 20 foot piece of PVC. And I mean, you'll have to get your body all the way up under the, the thing. But I mean, a lot of people don't have the, you know, the, the bravery to do it, but, uh, uh, that's where a lot of those flatheads go in natural structure. So, um, so look for a cedar tree on the bank, then. That's right, right on the bank. I mean, but the water line you can't have any air pockets in it because it has air pockets in it. There won't be a fish in. Gotcha. And, um, that, that's just a tip I'm going to give everybody since I don't have a lot of time. Um, I'm probably, I'm probably known as the blue cat king, but uh, you know I know how to fish natural structure too. I just don't do that a lot because anymore because I. Because I guide so much, I'm I'm constantly busy. So and you're and what's what's your guide service called? It's it's Big Tennessee Adventures Trophy Catfish. Right. Yes, sir. That's correct. You can look us up on Facebook, uh, the internet, BigTNCats.com, and uh, Big Tennessee Adventures uh, right there on Facebook. That's correct, sir. All right, hey Will, and also I I, I link that on my Facebook page, and there's actually a video I think of you wrestling one up here. So oh yeah, you got <laughs> one of us like a black and white video. Yeah, we caught that last week, and uh, that's just. That's just a little sample. That's a blue cat. Uh, a lot of these guys that like out in Oklahoma and stuff, you on TV, they all catch flatheads. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There's a country mile difference between a flathead and a blue. And if you really want to have a good time, blue cat's where it's at. I mean. Will, Will, we got to leave it there, buddy. Good luck today, and I appreciate it. We'll see you. All right. Let's leave her skirt at the dock. Let's go fish. All right. Will Goodman, Big Tennessee Adventures. That's going to do it. Y'all get out and go noodling. We'll talk to you next Saturday, everybody. <laughs>